initiation until I went to college. I never heard a sermon on communion, ever. And so my first time I heard it almost 30 years ago, I was absolutely blown away. Absolutely blown away. I got saved 18 years old, and Josh McDowell was preaching and led me to the Lord. The Lord called me into youth ministry. I went to the Master's University, and Dr. John MacArthur became my pastor and baptized me. I will never forget when he preached about the communion. That message forever changed my view. So this morning, we're going to look at three components of the communion. Three components of the communion. These three components are absolutely essential to remember when we celebrate the Lord's table. These components are the past, the present, and the future. Let's pray first. Lord, as we come into your word and examine, Lord, this beautiful ordinance that you established, God, these are wonders too great for us to contemplate. It's too beautiful for us to even handle. But Lord, through your spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes to your word, that you would touch our hearts, Lord, that you would speak to us and that we would see a different perspective on communion, a deeper perspective, Lord, of what you accomplished, of what our celebration is to be. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your promise, Lord, that you will come, that you will speak. Lord, take me, I pray, out of the picture pray that you would remove me and that your words would speak. Life, as you have in my heart, Lord, I pray that you would speak life. You would be at work. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to be jumping around a little bit this morning in Scripture as we look at each of these three components. So, first of all, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to be looking first of all at verses 23 and 25. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and 25. I will be reading this morning from a New American Standard Bible, so but I'll have some other translations mixed in there too, so hopefully I won't confuse you too much with that. Okay, so let's read 23 and 25. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We see in these verses here a past component. You see in verse 23, Paul, uh, he received from the Lord. Uh, We should notice immediately here that Paul was not in the upper room when this Passover took place, was he? He wasn't even saved yet. 
so, so at some point in, after Paul's conversion, God gave him, Jesus gave him this. He says, I received this from the Lord. And he quotes exactly what happened in the upper room when Jesus was leading his disciples in the Last Supper. It's a beautiful thought. It's so important for Jesus that he revealed it to Paul so that he could teach it to the churches that he encountered and he started. You see, this was probably most likely um, given to Paul before the Gospels were written. And so Paul had no way of knowing. This came right from Jesus. It's so important. He received this from the Lord. So important, this ordinance. Jesus established only two ordinances. One was baptism and the other was communion. Very important. Communion is important to our Lord, so important that he revealed it to Paul, who shared it with the Corinthian church and other churches that he started in his missionary travels. As we look in depth at the communion, we will see why it is so important. The past component. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. Okay, so Jesus here says, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember, the past component is that we remember. We look back at what our Savior has done for us. The Lord gave the Jews in the Old Testament all kinds of ways to remember. They were to wear the Shema. That's the hero Israel, the Lord your God is one God. They were to wear it around their their foreheads. They had a little box that they wear around their foreheads. And they had it wrapped around their arm and it came down into their hand, the Shema, so that everywhere a man went, he knew the Lord my God is one. Lord, hero Israel. If you go today to Israel, you will see a mezuzah. It's a container that holds the Shema and it's on the doorpost as you walk into every room in a, in a hotel. It's a remembrance everywhere through the Old Testament. God was commanding his people to remember. They were to build Ebenezer's. You know what an Ebenezer is? That's what Abraham built. We see the first mention of an Ebenezer when Abraham built it after God, Jehovah Jireh, provided a sacrificial lamb instead of Isaac. And what did Abraham do? He built an Ebenezer to remember, to mark this day as a day is important. Ebenezer's, they're giant rock piles. When the, when the 12 tribes came over to the Jordan, what did they do? They built an Ebenezer. Lord, there's a lot of there's a lot of rocks in Israel. Let me tell you, the more Ebenezers, the better, because they're it's it's crazy over there. But it's an incredible reminder, a physical reminder of a huge major event that the Lord has done in our lives. We've kind of lost that in the Western culture that we live in. We've lost that continuous reminders for us. 
oh, we do some things to remind, and that's good. We do great things. We put scripture on our refrigerators, on our walls, and things like that. And, and sometimes you can go through your day and, and not really look at it, right, because you get so used to it. But having reminders is really important for us. And we'll talk about why about that for a, while, a little bit. <clears throat> the Lord was constantly telling his people to remember. And Jesus here in verse 24 is he is telling us to remember his body. Remember his body. Turn, if you will, save your spot there in 1 Corinthians and turn over to the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah 53, verse 5. 53, verse 5. As we look at Jesus' body. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says... Some people are still turning, so I'll wait. (laughs) I hear the pages. It says this, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. By his, the blows that came to Jesus were meant for us, they should have been for us. The chastening for our well-being fell on him. Flip over now to Isaiah 52, the, the next page it should be. Isaiah fifty-two fourteen says this. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Let me read this out of the New Living Translation here. Same verse. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. This isn't the sanitized, version that we've seen in movies. He was so disfigured you could hardly even tell he was a man. Jesus wants us to remember this. He wants us to look back upon this because he gave this body for us. It wasn't taken from him. Nobody forced him to do this. The God of the universe could have called down a legion of angels and wiped everybody out. But he didn't because he gave us his body for us. And it's by his body that our wounds are healed. His scourging has taken away our wounds and healed us. Jesus gave his body. He wants us to remember. Why? Why do you suppose? Well, Robert Robinson, some of you may know he's the author of the, of the lyrics uh, for Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And he wrote this. He says, oh, to grace a great, a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's us. 
We are prone to wander. We are prone to leave this God that we love. We are to remember so that we can come back in our love. The Lord wants us to remember because our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need to be reminded of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. The Lord wants us, his body was given to us. He wants us to know that. He also wants us to remember in verse 25, it says, he also wants us to remember his blood that was shed. Let's read verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood. You know, the, the blood is mentioned throughout the Bible, right? If you've read the Old Testament, then you know how often we see this image and picture of blood. There were feasts that were given constantly that celebrated that had blood in them. The biggest was, of course, Passover, but they also were sacrificing animals at the temple constantly, and blood was splattered upon the altar. The people were to remember the blood. They had lots of different feasts to help them remember different attributes of God. They had Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Feast of Tabernacles, Purim, Hanukkah, and, of course, the Passover. All the feasts were a foreshadowing of the Messiah. We know the Passover was to be a remembrance of how Jehovah delivered his people out of bondage. Every aspect of the meal finds meaning and fulfillment in the Messiah. The Messiah would be the sacrificial lamb. The Messiah would provide the blood that covers. The Jews understood what blood symbolized. Hebrews 9.22 says this, and according to the law, one may also say all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus completely fulfilled the Passover. He is the perfect sinless lamb. His shed blood was shed once and for all time. Not the over and over and over, over sacrifice that pointed to the Messiah that was to come and fulfill this Passover. Jesus' blood was shed once for all time for all people. This is the meaning of the word propitiation. God's righteous wrath was satisfied with the blood of Christ. And because of that one-time sacrifice, we can be his children and be forgiven and be cleansed. Jesus wants us to remember. He wants us to remember. That's the past. That's the past element component now let's look at the present component of communion, the present component. We find this in a, a few verses. Uh, let's look at the first verses here. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 27 and 30. So just if you're back there, sorry, I didn't get, you might still be in Isaiah, but now we're 
We're back in Corinthians. <laughs> okay, Corinthians 11, 27 and 30. Okay, here we go. Uh, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord, the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Uh, This is very, very serious. We are to come to the Lord's table. We are to examine ourselves. We are to look at ourselves as we approach the Lord's table. We don't want to come in an unworthy manner because we will bring judgment upon ourselves if we do. In fact, verse 30 says clearly that many of you are weak and ill from this and some have even died. This is deadly serious. When we come to the Lord's table, we are not to come with a frivolous heart, a careless heart, or just out of ritual. It's a serious matter. It is during the communion that we are to examine our hearts Is there unrepented sin in our hearts, in our lives? Are we cherishing sin, holding on to it? That is called idolatry. Examine ourselves, not our neighbor. Don't look next to you, across from you. We examine ourselves. We're to confess and repent before we partake of the bread and the cup. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, you can turn there if you want to, otherwise I'll just give us there. 1 Timothy 1.15, he said this, it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. I want you to notice here, he doesn't say, I was foremost of all. Do you see that? You might want to highlight that. He doesn't say, I was foremost of all. I was a bad dude. I persecuted Christians. I oversaw, the, held on to the cloaks of Stephen when he was being stoned. I was a bad dude. I'm better now, man. I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I preach, I go all over the world, I I take blows on my body, I've been stoned, I've been beaten, right? No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, I am foremost of all. that, That verse blows me away. That's a deep humility. A deep understanding of God's righteousness and his desperate need for God's grace. We can't come into this Holy Communion with a heart that's not broken for our sin. We can't come there thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm not so bad. No, our sin is so horrific. Let me tell you, if we don't have a, an understanding of the grief and the hurt that we do when we sin to our Father, then we need to repent. 
Jesus said this. He says if, in Matthew 25, 23 and 24, so if you have an offering and you bring it a gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Sometimes we offend our brothers and our sisters. If we have offended our brothers and sisters, we have to take care of that first before we should take communion. Go. Go to your brother. Go to your sister. This is what communion is supposed to be. Maybe, maybe it's okay if people got up from their seats and went over to their brother Confessed, repented, hugged. Maybe, maybe there's some, some time here during communion when somebody says, I'm overwhelmed with my sin. I need to repent. And they stay in their chair and they're crying and weeping over their sin. We are to examine ourselves. Some would say, well, Tom, I thought God was a loving, good God. You know, he's kind and merciful. Yes, he is absolutely, certainly those things. But he is also holy and just. Solomon said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sometimes I think we've totally forgotten what it means to, or know what it is to fear the Lord. Should we presume upon the mercies of our Savior? Should we dishonor the Lord by coming to communion with sin, with covetousness, with selfishness, with pride, with deceit, with hypocrisy? If we do, we will bring down the chastening hand of God on our lives. Confess, repent, And then there's another element here of the present. Another element of the present. Once we've confessed, once we've repented, we are to proclaim. We are to proclaim. And we see this present component here in verse 26. Verse 26 says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim, we proclaim the Lord's death. We proclaim that we are his sheep. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is, the whole, it is he who made us and not our, we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We proclaim that everything we are, everything we have is his We say, I am yours and it is all yours. Everything I am and everything I own is yours. My family, there's nothing I'm holding back from you, Lord, because you are my Lord and I proclaim you as my Lord and Savior in total, absolute dependence upon him and his power in our lives. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. We are proclaiming, when we proclaim, we proclaim the Lord, we are absolutely yours, 100%. We can't even do anything without you in our lives. We need you. And we proclaim that. This is our proclamation. And there's a third element to the present component. <laughs> I cracked myself up and I wrote that this morning. <laughs> well, when I was writing, rewriting it out, I cracked myself up because I just thought, I am so nerdy. <laughs> my family often will tell me, as I'm talking to one of my daughters who will remain un, unnamed, and oftentimes I'll say something or try to explain something and she gives me a very puzzled look. And uh, then I have to think, okay, uh, how do I reword this? How do I re-say this? And then I say it, and she looks at me dead eye straight and said, why didn't you just say it that way in the first place? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> she knows who she is. She's just laughing. Okay, so I am, I am, I admit it. I am a little bit nerdy. That is for sure. But this is the third element to the present component of communion. So you got that? Are you with me on that? The third element of the present component. Communion, here it is. Communion is about fellowship. Communion is about fellowship. Now turn back your Bible one page there to 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and that's what we're going to see here, the fellowship part. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ sometimes like I've said before sometimes if we just doing our our Bible study and we don't really kind of dig into God's word a little bit we're going to miss a treasure we, we get we get a lot from just doing a periphery reading and that there's nothing wrong with that that's great but if you dig in a little bit then there's buried treasure there and i just want to say this word sharing here is the greek word for koinonia koinonia appears 17 times in the new testament koinonia used in this verse emphasizes our commonness when we come to the lord's table it is as community fellowship this community this koinonia is not predicated on anything other than having Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that's it that's the only condition for koinonia in this verse as we call upon our Savior Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior the Lord's table, therefore, is exclusively for the redeemed. If you're not a Christian, you've never trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Lord's Supper is not for you. I went to church all, all growing up. I was saved when I was 18 years old. And, but I wasn't a, I wasn't a Christian. 
I knew Jesus Christ had died for my sins. I, I understood in some sort of academic way up in my head. I had never gave my life to Jesus, surrendered it fully to him. And when I did, my eyes were opened for the first time. So I just want to say, as someone who's been there, that being in a church does not make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a Corvette. Just because you're here, maybe you're coming through your whole life, maybe you think that's it, that, that I'm a believer now. No, that does not make a Christian. Maybe you've made a decision as you were a child or a young adult like I was or an adult late in your life. We still knew our sin and we knew we needed a savior. Like the tax collector standing far off, he would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, oops, <laughs> beat his breast, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you have never repented of your sin and confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Lord's table is not for you. When we who are the redeemed, come together during communion, there is koinonia. There is true fellowship. And lastly, there is a future component to communion. Turn back to your page to 1 Corinthians 11.26. A future component. Verse 26 at the end, it says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion has a future element. Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew in the upper room, Matthew 26, 29. Uh, hold your page there to First Corinthians. Or actually, you can just turn to Matthew 26, 29. Matthew 26, 29. This is Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. The Last Supper, Matthew 26, 29. And he is instituting for the very first time, he's changing the Passover meal. He has already changed the bread, the bread of affliction. He's already taken the third cup, the cup of blessing, the cup of redemption, and said, this is me. And now we also see another component here, a future component. Matthew 26, 29 says this. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The Lord's table anticipates the millennial reign of Christ the millennial kingdom. The Lord's Supper anticipates the millennial reign. When we will be with our Lord, when we can sit at the table in intimacy, how that's possible with millions and millions of Christians and believers up there doing the same thing, God is infinite. But we are going to have intimate communion with our Savior. This brings us hope. 
This is hope. There's hope here in the communion. We, the redeemed, will celebrate communion with Jesus. Communion is our hope to look forward, to see the future when this world is chaotic and crazy, when even factions and divisions among us, we will beyond be beyond all that in the future. Our, our sinful natures within us that war against the spirit that cause us difficulties and divisions, which have been going on for thousands of years in the church, those will be gone. No more. Amen. Do I hear an amen for that? <laughs> no more as we share the Lord's communion. So there's a past component, a past, a present, and a future component with our communion. It starts with remembering. It continues with confession and repentance of our sin. We proclaim Jesus' lordship. We share oneness and fellowship, and we have hope. Let us not forget that. We have hope. Hope. That's perspective. It brings perspective in difficult times when we know we have hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. I, words can't even come to my mouth right now to express my gratitude for you, Lord. My love for you. Lord, I'm so grateful for your mercy. So grateful for your love for me, for us. Lord, we did not deserve this kind of love. We did not deserve this kind of mercy. You showered upon us anyway. You gave freely, abundantly, overflowing to us. And Lord, we want to come and we want to celebrate all these things. We want to say thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for what you've accomplished Thank you for what you're doing in our lives right now. And thankful for the future hope that we have. When we lay aside the cares of this world, the hurt, the pain, and we're with you with no sin, no hurt, no pain. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes and we will be intimate with you, Lord. Thank you so much for that this morning. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.